want to say once again how much we appreciate the opportunity to be here uh, last night, getting to know uh, many of you that we didn't know before and visit with you a little bit. Uh, today, getting to spend some time uh, with some of you, and of course tonight, and the fellowship after, tomorrow as well. We're looking forward to the rest of the time that we have here and appreciate very much being here. Because I was asked the question several times, I want to go ahead and preemptively uh, throw out there that I am Leland and Kathy Fleming's son. Uh, I am related to Ty Fleming as well, but he's my uncle. So uh, Leland Fleming is my father. I'm four out of a whole bunch of kids that they've had. Uh, so just to give you a connection point, if you were curious about that. I uh, also want to, as way of introduction, I uh, was asked many uh, questions regarding this as well. Uh, I'm originally from the Houston area, but we are living in Harlingen, Texas currently. We've been there for about three years. Uh, if you know where that is, then uh, you've, you've been down there for, I don't know why, maybe you were heading to Mexico, because it's right there at the border. You really can't go much farther south than where we are there in Harlingen. That's where we're from. We've been doing a evangelistic work down there for about three years, as well as uh, finishing up on some school degrees. So uh, that's sort of an introduction to who I am and who we are. Uh, and like I said before, we appreciate very much being here. Hope that the things that we study tonight will be beneficial to you in your life. Last night, we began talking about our pursuit of holiness in our life. Holiness is something within Scripture that we find over and over and over and time and time again. Now I want to read Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14 with you again this evening. We read it last night. It says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. We talked about there that the word follow means to pursue. We talked about that our pursuit of holiness is just that. It is a lifelong struggle, a lifelong pursuit. It's not something that in one moment or one instant I can say, I have achieved holiness. That's impossible. But I am to follow or to pursue that, that goal in my life. Just as a quick review, we talked about the fact that the Word appears over 600 times in Scripture. 1 Peter 1.16 tells us that holiness that we're to have in our life is to be based upon the holiness of God. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy, as God said. And holiness literally means to be as God is. To be sacred or set apart. God's natural state or His nature. We mentioned the fact that through the offering of Jesus Christ, we are given holiness. We are given sanctification. But then we are asked to be holy in our behavior. This evening, I want to continue that thought, but I want to talk specifically about pursuing holiness in our bodies. Tomorrow morning, we want to continue and finish up this series by looking at pursuing holiness in our minds. And they're two very different animals when you look at how we approach making sure that we have holiness, whether it's in our bodies or in our minds. When it comes to our bodies, consider 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. It says what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which is God's, or which are God's. We're taught within Scripture that our body houses the very spirit of God. That the Holy Spirit that God has sent when we obeyed the gospel dwells within us. And that our body is a temple of the living God. And yet many times when we talk about holiness, when we talk about our struggle with holiness, when we deal with sin and choices and decisions that we make, many times we're committing those sins with the very body that is the temple of the Spirit of God. 
glorify God in your body. That's what we're commanded. And so what we want to do this evening is look at how we can approach holiness, glorifying God as it pertains to how we use our body. James 1 verse 27 says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the father and widows in their, or fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Here's the problem that you and I have when it comes to pursuing holiness in our bodies. is we're striving to be holy in an unholy world. And James says, pure religion, to be undefiled before God, to be perfect, to be holy, is to visit the fatherless and the widows and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. And you can look at that and you can say, in the world that we live, how is it possible to keep ourselves unspotted? With the sin that we see going on around us every day, with people that we know, with fellow Christians that struggle with sin, how is it possible for me to be unspotted from the world? To be holy. And I pose the question, should we, should we be removed from the world? You know, many would take the position that because of the immense standard that we're held to, we should withdraw ourselves. We should take ourselves away from any kind of temptation and away from anybody who is not holy and we should withdraw ourselves into a corner and never go anywhere and never see anyone and that's the only way that we can remain unspotted from the world. But I want you to think this evening about the fact that that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It doesn't make sense with other scriptures that we read. One of which is found in John 17 verse 15 where Jesus, just before he is betrayed by Judas and given up to be crucified, he's prayed. And his disciples are listening. And he's speaking to God the Father on behalf of his disciples. In verse 20 of this same chapter, which I don't have up here, he says, and not for these only, but for all those that will believe. And that means you and I. So in verse 15, when he says, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from evil. Jesus is saying, it's not about us as Christians removing ourselves from it's not, our, it's not our responsibility to hide in a corner to keep ourselves unspotted from sin. But Jesus prayed that God would help us and to give us the strength we need to keep away from the evil that's there and to keep ourselves unspotted. Consider Romans 12 verse 2. It talks about not being conformed to the world. And that's important, that we're different from the world even though we're in it. Look at the scriptures in Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16 that talk about us as Christians needing to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. We can't be that light to the world if we're withdrawn into a corner. It doesn't work that way. You see, the answer is not to keep ourselves unspotted from the world by staying away from anything and anyone that's not holy. The answer is, even when we're in the world, we're not of the world. We're different. We make different choices and different decisions when it comes to how we live. We read this last night, 1 Peter 1, 14 and 15, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Conversation there meaning behavior. That that's our responsibility. In the world, in an unholy world, that's what we're to strive for. So I want to talk about a few things this evening that hopefully can help you in your daily walk, in your daily struggle against sin. First of all, before we begin into some of the specifics, one thing we need to remember is as we go throughout our life, identify yourself openly as a Christian. And that's an important concept that sometimes we don't get a lot of times. 
is we are Christians, and it's not that maybe we consider ourselves ashamed to be Christians, but we don't, we're not just extremely open. We don't offer that information up unless maybe someone asks. That's okay. But if someone asks, don't be afraid. Identify yourself as a Christian. Be proud of the fact that you're a Christian. Don't be ashamed of it. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Romans 1.16. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of Christ and being a Christian. Identify yourself openly as one. And that will help you in your struggle against sin. Because if you have identified yourself openly as a Christian, then others that are around you know the moment that you start doing something you shouldn't be doing, they know you're a Christian. You're not supposed to be doing that. And that will help keep you accountable. It's for everyone to know you're a Christian. And that helps you in your struggle against sin. And understand the power of choice. Understand that in every situation, you have the choice to sin or not to sin. And many times we get bogged down with the idea that it's just too hard. Or we're overcome with sin. Or it's just too much for us to bear. But in fact, the scriptures speak differently about temptation. The scriptures say that no temptation will overtake us, but such as is common to man. And God, in fact, will even provide a way of escape for us to get away. So understand the power of choice. Your struggle with sin, your struggle with being holy, is up to you and you alone. It's up to you to make the choice. God's promised He'll help you. He'll give you the strength. He'll give you the way of escape. You've got to take it. And I've got to take it. And you can't take it from me, and I can't take it from you. It's each and every one of our own choice. So let's talk about a few specifics. As we talk about pursuing holiness in our body, let's consider our appearance. I read a statistic, and I have been trained not to give a statistic without being able to give the source. So I apologize for doing this in advance, but I couldn't find where I read this, so disregard it if you don't like it. But I read that 98% of the people that see you will never interact with you. In other words, as you're living your life, and you're going to your store, and you're going to work, and you're going places... 98 out of 100 people that see you, you'll never talk to. You'll never interact with. They'll just see you. So what that tells me about appearance is that appearance can be a great way to have influence on other people. Is that how we present ourselves matters. With the thousands upon thousands of people that we meet each and every day, that see us each and every day, how do we present ourselves? Do we present ourselves as holy? Does someone look at our appearance and think, that's the appearance of a Christian? Or do we look like every other person in the world? No different at all. 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10 says, In like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or golds or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. So this scripture is speaking specifically toward women in the idea of being modest and of wearing things and presenting themselves in such a way that professes godliness. And I tell you, this principle of professing godliness is not limited to women. We ought to profess godliness, each and every one of us, men and women, in the way that we act, in the way that we dress, in the way that we look, that our appearance professes the godliness that is to be within us, that professes the fact that our body is the temple of the Spirit of God. 1 Peter 2, verse 9 says, You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
that you should show, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The scripture is full of the idea that when we're out in the world, one of the ways that we have influence is to show forth God, whether it's with our actions, with our deeds, or with our appearance. So I ask you this evening to consider yourself. Because I can't tell you what's in your heart and you can't tell me. But consider within your heart and ask yourself, am I dressing? Am I making my behavior reflect the God that dwells within? Reflect the Savior that has given His life for me? Reflect the Spirit of God that dwells in me? Does my appearance say, holy or not? What about our mouths? As we look at the different aspects of our bodies and how we can use our bodies. Not only is our appearance important for the way that people perceive us and see us, but when we communicate with people, the main way that we communicate is through our mouth, is through our language. Body language is important as well. People will tell you that actually more communication happens with the, your body language. But much of the way when we're interacting with people, that people get to know us and know the kind of people that we are is through how we talk things that we say. And that's when you really get to know somebody, when you sit down and you listen, you listen to them. You can really get a feel for the kind of person that they are. Colossians 3, 8 through 10 says, but now ye also put off these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. This scripture talks about some of the ways that we can use our mouth for bad or for wrong or for sin. And it says, put away filthy communication. What is filthy communication? And it's really pretty self-explanatory when you think about it, but you can go a lot of different directions with filthy communication. But I want you to consider a few. I want you to consider the words that even a society that is not an overtly Christian or godly society considers to be cuss words or bad words that you wouldn't say in front of children that you shouldn't? And are you using some of those words? Whether it's here at church or tomorrow at work, does it make a difference? Because holiness and the standard of holiness is not as a group when we come together, this is how we should be. It's you and me personally 24-7. 24-7. So do you have those words in your repertoire? Please don't be like, like the chameleon who changes colors depending on his background and where he is. Don't be the person that's holy and uses his speech well when you're around fellow Christians, but the next day, boy, those words are slipping out. Don't be that person. Filthy communication. Could it be an inappropriate joke that you tell that really you think is funny? You know it's inappropriate, but it's funny. And it gets some laughs. Could that be filthy communication out of your mouth? The inappropriate conversation with somebody about things that you shouldn't really be talking about. Could that be filthy communication? Could it be gossiping about things you have no business spreading, true or not? Could it be that gossip fits into that category of filthy communication? And one we talked about extensively last night, lying. Lying. And it says specifically, lie not one to another. Lying is easy to do, and it's easy to fall into the trap of justifying a lie. Don't do it. 
Don't use your mouth for such things because such things don't reflect the holy standard that God has asked you to uphold. That doesn't speak to a holy person, a person that uses their body as a temple for the Spirit of God. Don't use your mouth for that. Instead, use your mouth for good. Proverbs 8, 6-8 says, Hear, for I will speak of excellent things, and the opening of my lips shall be right things. For my mouth shall speak truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing forward or perverse in them. Can you honestly read that verse and say, That's me? All the words of my mouth are righteousness. Every word that I speak, there's nothing perverse in me. I hope it can be. I hope you can say that. But I know that I can't say that. I can't say that. And this is something that I constantly have to work on because the littlest thing that can seem so innocent can be an unholy thing to say. Use your words for good. Instead of using your words to tell an inappropriate joke or to use a word that you shouldn't use, use your words to bless somebody else. Use your words to read Scripture. Use your words to tell somebody about Jesus Christ and His gospel. Tell your words, or use your words to edify and to lift up one another, to build each other up in the faith. Use your words for those kind of things. And in so doing, you reflect the holy standard that God has asked you to uphold. You reflect holiness in your mouth. What about our ears? Just flip it around. Instead of us being the ones that are talking... We're the ones now that are listening. How is it that we use our ears? Proverbs 26 verse 20 gives us an interesting principle, especially when it comes to things such as gossip. It says, where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. So where there is no self-error, the strife ceaseth. Interesting principle in Scripture is that in order for gossip to be spread, not only does there have to be someone that's telling the gossip, but there has to be someone that's listening. And it's picking up that information. And the point is, don't be that person. It's real easy for you to say, well, I'm not the one spreading it. I'm not spreading gossip. I don't do that. But I'll sit there and I'll listen. I'll listen to every juicy tidbit that I can get my hands on. And that can't be what a Christian is supposed to do. A Christian is not supposed to be that listening ear. Whether it's gossip or apply it to the other things that we've talked about. If it's an inappropriate joke... Don't listen to the joke. Don't laugh at the joke. And maybe if if you can, and if you have a good enough relationship with the person, say, you know what? I know you think that's funny, but just, I think it's, I don't like it. If you would, just don't, don't joke with me about those things. And I know you look at that and you say, that's embarrassing to say that. Right? It is. You know why it's embarrassing? Because it makes us different. And sometimes we don't like to be different. Sometimes we like to be the same as everybody else. We like to blend in. But we're not supposed to blend in. We're supposed to be different. And it doesn't mean to be haughty about it. It doesn't mean to have a bad attitude about it or to be rude about it. But to be nice, in love, and ask them not to tell you those things. Or to say those words to you. Because you, as that ear, have the important responsibility of stopping those inappropriate things before they spread any Don't listen to those things. Don't use your ears for those things. Those only detract from the holy standard that we're supposed to be living. 
Instead, as Proverbs 22.17 says, Bow down thine ear and hear the words of the wise. Apply thine heart unto my knowledge. You know what you ought to use your ears for? You ought to use your ears to listen to Scripture being read. You ought to use your ear to listen to wise words of Christians more experienced than you, telling you some of the things that they've learned. You should bow down your ear to hear the Word of God and the knowledge that's found therein. You should use your ear to listen to a blessing that's given. You should use your ears to listen to the edification that someone is trying to give you to build you up. And listen to those things and pay attention and reject the others. And in so doing, you're living up to that holy standard that God has called you. And you're using your ears for those things. What about your eyes? This is a big one. And it's a scary one when you really start to think about it. 1 John 2, 16 says, For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. There is a lust of the flesh or a desire of the eyes that we have sometimes, that all of us have from time to time, where we look upon something and we want it. We like it. Even if it's something that we shouldn't want or we shouldn't look at like that. And the scripture here says the lust of the eyes, that passion for those things that we should not be looking at, those things are not of the Father, but they're of the world. Proverbs 27 and verse 20 gives us another very important principle. It says, Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of a man are never satisfied. There are things that, as people, we can look at, we can use our eyes for, that we know are inappropriate. That we know are wrong. While we're looking at it. Whether it's images and videos that we look at on a computer screen, whether it's shows or movies that we're watching on TV, whether it's people that we're looking at in ways that we shouldn't look at them, or whether it's objects or possessions that we're coveting with our eyes, there are things that we use our eyes for to look at and to want and to desire that we know are inappropriate. And here's the danger. The eyes of a man are never satisfied. You look once, and you allow yourself to look at it, we end up with the one more time mentality. We end up saying, just this time, and then I'm going to stop. I'll stop looking at it. I'll be done. But then the next time it rolls around, and you're tempted, and you look again, and you fall, and you say, that's the last time, and I'm going to be done. And then sometime later again, the temptation comes, and you fall, and you look, because the eyes of a man are never satisfied. And when covetousness, or when we're viewing things that we shouldn't view, out of a wrong desire from the heart, we'll never be satisfied. And we'll go deeper, and we'll go deeper into that, until it ruins our lives, and ruins our Christianity. God's standard is, be holy as I am holy. So don't use your eyes for those things. Don't look. Make the choice. Remember, the power of choice is yours. Make the choice to say, this really is the last time, and I'm going to do whatever is necessary to make sure. Mark 9, verse 47 says, If thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. And the point Jesus is making with this statement is, 
do whatever is necessary to end the problem. I hope that for yours and for my sake, we don't ever have to actually come to the point where we're plucking our eyes out. But if that's the only way to stop sinning, I hope we will. I hope we will. Because it's more important that we live the rest of our life not having any sight than to continually fall to sin and be cast into hellfire because of the sin that we're choosing to live. Be willing to stop it, to stop the cycle, and do whatever it takes. Have someone hold you accountable. Have a congregation hold you accountable. Don't be ashamed of the fact that you have a struggle. Because I guarantee you, we all do. We all do. John 4, verse 35 says, Say ye not there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes. Look on the fields, for they are white, already to harvest. Instead of using your eyes for such evil, sinful things, choose to use your eyes differently. Choose instead to use your eyes to look for opportunity. The fields are wide to harvest. It's ready to be harvested. But you have to lift up your eyes and look for the opportunity. Look for chances to be an influence. Use your eyes to look for an opportunity to do a good deed for somebody. Use your eyes to open up the scriptures and to read. And to get some of that knowledge and that wisdom that's found therein. Use your eyes to be a blessing on others. And to glorify God. And in so doing, you live to that holy standard that God has called you. What about your hands? Our hands, just like everything else, can be used for good or can be used for bad. And the same concept with the eye, Jesus speaks of the hand. And he says, if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life named than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. What can we do with our hands that's ungodly? I want you to use your imagination and think for a little bit. Some of it's pretty obvious. The scriptures speak of stealing as being a sin, as being wrong. And that's something that we use our hands for most of the time. If we're stealing, it's because we're grabbing something. We're taking it that it's not, that's not ours. Now, in this day and age, you could steal something digitally or through the cyberspace, and maybe you never use your, your hands maybe you're typing on the keyboard, one way or the other, you're using your body to do it. You're using your hands to steal. And you might look at that and you say, well, I'm not about stealing. Well, and that's something that we look around as Christians and we say, we don't have problems stealing, do we? Some do. Some do. Don't laugh at it and don't mock it because your struggle might be different, but that might be a real struggle for somebody. And I know one individual specifically that that is their struggle. Stealing is wrong. But there's other things that we can do with our hands. We can use our hands for violence. We can use our hands to strike out at somebody that we're angry at. We can be driving down the road, getting onto the highway, and someone cuts us off and we're slamming on our brakes. And our reaction is to throw our hand up and to make a gesture that's very obscene. And I know folks that they struggle with that because it's an anger problem. And I understand it's an anger problem, but they're using their hands to do things they should not and to send messages that are ungodly and unholy. How do you use your hands? And have you thought about it? Have you thought about the fact that if you struggle with some of those things, the same principle that Jesus talked about with our eyes applies? That if you have to cut your hand off to stop doing it, willing to cut it off.
Ephesians 4, verse 28 says, Let him that stole sin no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands that thing which is good, that he may give to him that needeth. The scriptures tell us how to overcome a situation like this, stop using our hands for those things, and look for opportunities to use your hands for godly things. Use your hands to shake the hand of a visitor that comes into church. Use your hand to give a hug to your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ each and every time you see them. Use your hands to open up the Scripture so that you can use your eyes to read. Use your hands to do a good deed, to mow somebody's lawn, to carry somebody's groceries, to change somebody's tire, to do something good. Let him that stole steal no more. Work with his hands the thing that is good. Are you doing good with your hands? If you are, if you look and you focus on using your hands for those things, we're living to that standard of holiness that we're living to. Our physical needs, the physical needs of our body, they can be used for good, and they as well can be used for bad and for sin. Colossians 3 verse 5 says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. You look at the word inordinate affection there, it simply means an excessive passion or lust. And I want you to consider the things, the physical desires that we have as human beings. Those physical desires are put within us by God. And don't look at those physical desires and those needs that we have physically and say, those are ungodly in and of themselves, because they're not. They're not. But how we use them can very easily be. Corinthians 6.18 says, Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. And it's worth noting that this verse comes right before verses 19 and 20 that we read at the beginning. It says what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost that's within you? Flee fornication. You know, this is a problem that is prevalent in this society. And the reason why this is a more dangerous problem is because society now views things like fornication and even adultery now as not really being that big a deal. It's no biggie. Everyone does it. It's all about who you love. If you love them, there's nothing wrong with it. Right? That's what we hear a lot. That's what society will tell us. The same is true for homosexuality as well. And that's becoming more and more prevalent who you love. And if you love them, there's nothing wrong with it, right? I'm sorry, I can't stand here before you and in good conscience tell you that because the scripture says something different. The scripture says flee fornication. Run from it. Get away from it because it's one of those sins, though God doesn't categorize sin, and we talked about that last night, to him fornication and a lie is the same thing. But you know what is different for us? Many times, is certain sins have bigger consequences than other sins. And this is one of those sins. This is one that can lead you into a life of consequence. Where you're faced with struggle and after struggle and difficulty after difficulty because of maybe one choice to sin. All I'm here to tell you this evening is that the scripture says what it says. And though we can look at it and say, that's unfair. We don't like it. We can say that all day long. But if we're truly trying to be holy, as God has called us to be holy, then we have to look at our physical desires and say, the only place that that is acceptable and holy 
is within the marriage relationship. And that's where it'll stay. And if you commit to that, and you are committed to that, then you're living in the holy standard that God has called you to live when it comes to those physical desires. If you find yourself drifting outside of those patterns, stop it and be willing to stop it. Be willing to do whatever it takes. I'm going to tell you to apply the same principle that Jesus used with your eyes and with your hands and be willing to go to any extreme to choose not to sin. Titus 2, 11 and 12 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. That's what we're called to. To deny those ungodly lusts, those worldly lusts, and to live righteously, godly, and holy. So are you? Are you? The last one we want to look at this evening before we close is our feet. You see our feet. It's kind of an odd. It's kind of an odd one. How can we use our feet to sin? Well, our feet carry us everywhere that we go, don't they? Anywhere that we go, we use our feet to get there. Proverbs seven verses seven through ten has an interesting story about feet, about a young man's feet, and where they took it. It says, "And beheld, and beheld among the simple ones, I discerned among the youths a young man void of understanding." passing through the street near her corner. And he went the way to her house, in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night, and behold, there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot, and subtle of heart. I'm going to skip to verse 21 and verse 22. You can go back and read the in-between passages later if you'd like to. But it says, With her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. He goeth after her straightway, as an ox goeth to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stones. Now this proverb is written to give a very important piece of wise instruction. And it has to do with where our feet carry us. You notice in the previous verse that we read, it said, He went the way to her house. He walked the way to her house. And then he goeth after her, or he went after her straight way. He followed her. And what happened here was this young man walked the way to the corner where a harlot was. And she flattered him. She spoke the words that he wanted to hear. She said the things he wanted to hear. I'm sure he saw the things that he wanted to see. And he was tempted. Not only was he tempted, but he gave in. And he followed her. The lesson that this tells you and me, and that I want us to get from this, is the fact that when we sin, and when we fall to temptation, many times we do so because we have allowed ourselves to walk somewhere that we shouldn't walk. We have put ourselves in a position that we should not put ourselves in. Had he not gone the way to her house... She would not have flattered him with her lips. He would not have gone in after her as an ox to the slaughter. He would have avoided it. If we avoid some of the places that cause us the temptation, if we avoid the people that cause us the temptation, 
if we don't allow our feet to take us to those places, maybe we can avoid ever having the sin. And maybe that's in keeping with where the scripture says we're not to be tempted above which we're able, but God in fact will provide a way of escape. Maybe that way of escape is being smart enough and wise enough to say, you know what, I have a drinking problem. I have a drunkenness problem. Every time I go to a bar, I end up getting drunk. And I know drunkenness is a sin. But I keep going to the bar. And I keep getting drunk. And that's a cycle that we have to stop. Every time that I'm alone in my house, I get on the internet, and I look at things I shouldn't look at. And I say, this is going to be the last time. But then the next time I'm alone, in my house, I do it again. Unplug the internet, throw out the computer, or make sure that you're not alone in your house. But do something to stop the cycle. Don't put yourself in the position to sin. Half the battle is being wise enough to say, this is my problem. I recognize my problem. How can I fix it? And if we miss that part of it, we're fighting a terribly hard battle. Putting ourselves in harm's way just to continually have to fight to do what's right. Romans 13, 13 says, Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envy, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. The scriptures speak to this very principle. Don't make provision for the flesh. Don't do it. Once again, I remind you that it's your choice. You're the only one that can choose to say no. I can't do it for you. The person sitting next to you on your left or on your right can't do it for you. You have to say no. Many of you don't know me well. I understand that. I understand that this may not mean a whole lot because you don't know me well. But I think that there may be stories that are similar that you can relate to perhaps. When I turned about 16 years old, I thought I was all about it. I thought I knew everything. I thought I was, I could be on my own. I didn't need my dad telling me what to do. I didn't need him giving me his advice. Because I had it together. I knew what it was that I was doing. And from about 16 to the time that I turned 18, I was counting those days to turning 18. Because at 18, guess what? I was legally an adult. And at that point, I didn't have to listen if I didn't want to. I didn't have to be in that house if I didn't want to. I could do the things that I wanted. I could be the person that I wanted. It's up to me. What that got me was at about 18 years old, having that attitude. I moved out onto my own, away from... I was still relatively close to other people, but I was in my own place. I had privacy. I had my independence. I had everything that I wanted. But I had such a terrible attitude that even though I showed up at church, I got to a point, and I'm, I'm going to make a confession to you this evening, and I hope that you don't hold it against me, but I got to the point where I would show up to church 20 minutes late, just despite my parents, because I knew, 
I knew they were the 30 minutes before church starts. We're there. Kind of people. And I'd show up late on purpose. I went. But I didn't have the kind of attitude they should have had. What a terrible thing to do to your parents who simply love you and want the best for you and have encouraged you to go to church because it's going to be the best place for you to be. And that's the way that I treated them. I started dabbling in things that I shouldn't have dabbled in. I started allowing myself to walk down certain roads and certain paths that I shouldn't have, but it was because of my attitude of saying, I've got it together. I don't need anybody telling me what to do. I want to do what I want to do. And I started doing it. Thankfully, I had enough people around me that loved me that weren't going to let me do that. They weren't going to let me walk down those paths. And they weren't going to let me go so far to where others have gone, to where they get so tangled in sin and in those type of wrong attitudes that they give up. And they say, this fight isn't worth fighting. And I'm tired of struggling. And I'm just going to move on because it's easier. But I had people around me that wouldn't let me do that. And they said, what are you thinking? What are you doing? And thankfully, enough of that instruction that I had had as a child, regardless of my attitude, enough of that instruction that I had, it was there. And I knew what I was doing. And I knew it was dumb and it was wrong. And thankfully, I turned it around. And I said, I'm going to stop. I've got to stop. Because I know where these things will lead. And I can tell you that, and I can stand up here and tell you that, and you can look at that and you can say, well, I don't know you. I don't even know if that's true. But you know the principle of sin is true. You know that when you start dabbling in sin, you want more. And you start walking down roads that you maybe never thought you would walk. And if you've done that, I'm telling you tonight, what you've got to do is to say, whatever it takes to get a handle on it is what I'm going to do. Because I know where this path is. God has called us to a holy calling. He has asked us to pursue holiness in our life. In every choice and in every decision, don't make the choice to sin. Do whatever it takes. Stop the cycle and choose to pursue holiness in your life. And when we talk about this this evening, we're not talking about that we're going to be perfect from today on. Because after that point that I told you that I was able to turn it around, did I have sin ever after that? Yes. Yes. Because I made mistakes. I failed at times. But the difference is that I had the attitude that said, if I fail, I'm going to pick myself up. I'm going to try harder the next time. And I'm going to be different. And that's the attitude that we've got to have to overcome these things. This evening as we close, Colossians 3 verses 1 through 4 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. What I want, when this world is destroyed, and this life is over, whether it's from my death or from Christ returning, what I want is to stand before the throne of God and to hear the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And I want to see you there, and I want to hear those same words being said to you. 
And I want all of us to be reunited that day before God in His very presence in heaven for eternity. The way that we can do that is to make the choice tonight. Make the choice to live the holy life that God is calling you to. Stop the cycle of sin, whatever it is in your life. And choose the holy path. Choose the right path. And when we do that, then we can look for Christ to to return. And we can look in anticipation and have confidence in knowing that we will meet again after death. This evening, if you're struggling with sin, if you have a sin that is cycling that you've not been able to stop, we ask you to stop it tonight. Whether that means you personally, privately making that choice, or if you need to come ask for the prayers of the church, we're ready. We want to help you. We want to pray for you. We're not going to judge you, because all of us have sin. And we all need each other's prayers. If you're here and you've not obeyed the gospel, we offer you that invitation tonight, because that's the most important choice that you can make, is to give your life to Jesus. Obey the gospel through baptism. If we could help you this evening, we'd ask that you come and sit in our front pew as we stand and sing the invitation song.